The car you drive every day should be fun. But it has to do the boring stuff too, like commute, be affordable, and haul your groceries. You can have both, and we'll help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Today. I actually kind of wish you guys knew how much fun we have doing this show. But <laughs> yeah. we're, we're, at a weird, we're at a weird place. Here's what just happened. As we've mentioned before, this is a phone call for Paul and I. We've been doing phone calls mm-hmm. like this forever. Yep. And so this is our phone call. And we end up covering a lot of show business. And, you know, we'll record for the podcast for an hour or so. We end up talking on either side. But tonight, we've been chasing totally different things for the show, Paul and I. Tonight, we got on the phone, and 40, 40 minutes later, 40 minutes later, we were supposed to just get on the phone to a podcast. 40 minutes later, guys, we had just covered each of our headlines. Oh, there's this going on. Oh, and there's this yeah. going on. Oh, and there's that going on. And we kind of got to a place where it was just kind of like, I just need to get off the phone for a second, check my brain, come back to a podcast. So we're here. That's we're excited to awesome. talk with you guys. There's a ton of stuff going on, uh, lots of it we want to share with you, but you also have a ton of great questions. We're going to do a bunch of questions. We're going to do one car debate about the $5,000 car dilemma. This comes up now and then. We've got a cool car debate from Tanner. We're going to talk about that. Cover a bunch of your questions, and wow, I, wow is really all I have right now. My brain is reeling, but it's great stuff. Agreed. Some stuff we can share, other stuff we can't because it's not fully developed yet, but as you said, uh, man... So much going on. So let's just jump yeah, in. Let's great. talk about cars. The thing yeah. that actually is relaxing out of all True. the business and the admin yeah. stuff, the administrative stuff and all this. Oh, man. Let's just talk about cars. You got a ton of questions on Instagram, I noticed. People I got a bunch of personal questions. People are actually hitting you up here. I yeah, think you I should just a... jump right in. Pick some stuff. I'll cover a couple of them. A couple, couple of them. But I wanted to cover Will Rosenboom's question from Twitter real quick because Will's question has come up in bits and pieces on various platforms since we launched on TV. Let me explain something about the Velocity deal that you may not realize that is causing a little bit of confusion. We are coming up, uh, actually, when you when you listen to this, it's a Friday. The next day is episode four, which is yeah. the really cool M2 GTS piece. We highly recommend it. We hope you'll watch it. Yeah. Uh, we're very thankful to both Amsoil and Covercraft for helping make TV a reality. But there's a few questions that have come from you about how do you, how do you find us on Velocity? Now, it sounds obvious. Everyday driver, I go to Velocity, I search. But you'd be wrong. It's <laughs> harder than that. It shouldn't be, but here's what's up. So let me, let me just break it out for no, you I'm, in case you I'm glad you you're know. explaining this. I'm glad, I'm glad you're covering this. This is good. We've gotten various questions about it, and it's made me realize, especially when we saw Will's question come across, thank you, man, for this. I wanted to clarify for sure. Here's the thing about Velocity, and I mean specifically their website, okay? Velocity is promoting the shows they produce. So let's leave us for a second. Mighty Car Mods, another really popular YouTube channel that's now also on Velocity, their deal's very similar to ours, okay? Mm -hmm. So Velocity does not produce their show. If you go to the Velocity website right now and you search for Mighty Car Mods, you're not going to find them. You're also not going to find us. Now, we're on the channel. It's just... The search tabs, the promoted stuff, the banner ads, all of that is the stuff they produce that then they rerun into the ground. (laughs) So the way to find us is actually, I know this sounds weird, if you went to Velocity, you've also got to search to do this. You've got to kind of dig down to even get them to show you the full schedule. And then you can find us right there Saturday morning. There we are. But the way to find us is actually search through search for our name, Everyday Driver. Just search that. But search it on your cable provider, not through Velocity themselves. I know that sounds completely backwards. It is backwards, honestly. But it's because Velocity is pushing their own stuff, understandably, and not those of us that are on Velocity that produce independently. Exactly. So, exactly. I, I have seen, and, and many of you have sent in pictures. Thank you. I've seen uh, Cox... Warner, uh, Time Warner, I've seen uh, DirecTV, um, also, there's another one in there, oh, Dish Network, I've seen screen captures of all of those, people, have, you've taken pictures with your phone, it's great, yeah, it you've is. shown us, here's Everyday Driver, you can see our little thumbnail, and you can see us early Saturday morning, depending upon where you are, it may be really early, so we highly recommend the DVR, but we are there every Saturday morning through middle of June, so if you're looking, that's how I would look, if you're on the Velocity site going... Do they not know Everyday Driver exists? They do. They're just not promoting us because they have build shows to promote. Exactly. So that's what's going on. <laughs> We've got build shows. There's Xfinity as well, and it depends on your cable provider whether they 
produce the thumbnail. For example, mine I get through uh, for, through fiber optic communications mm-hmm. through uh, through a provider. And everything is fiber, and then it goes into the house, and it's translated to cable. So I don't actually have coax coming into the house. Mm, and true, I yeah. also – the interface is kind of strange. It doesn't provide thumbnail photos for me. It just provides text only. Yeah. It's kind of a bummer, but whatever. It's just kind of how they're doing it, and everybody seems to have a different system. Some definitely better than others, but uh, yeah. But yeah. I'm, I'm glad you kind of explained that once and for all. Appreciate you guys trying to find us and search for us. So, yeah. Definitely. Do it the way Todd described. You can definitely find us as well. And Saturday mornings, next one's coming up tomorrow. So Mm -hmm. you're listening to this on a Friday, so it would be tomorrow. And, uh, yeah, can't wait to share this one with you. So looking forward to that. But uh, like I said, you've got a bunch of questions. People are calling you out here, uh, all kinds of stuff. And uh, I think you should pick a couple before we do some of these car debates or this one car debate we're doing, uh, doing for this one. All right. Well, look, I'll talk to uh, um, S. Vicentius' question on uh, – this is actually Instagram, I believe. He said, for me, he wanted to know – I'm a climber. He wanted to know bouldering, top roping, or lead climbing. Uh, you know what? It's you and me talking about this now. Uh, 90% of the audience, <laughs> I've already lost you. You have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, bouldering is uh, is roughly less than 20 feet off the ground. You aren't roped in. You're just climbing a boulder. It's typ- typically very difficult technically. Top roping is the rope is already strung for you. Lead climbing is you are taking the rope and the gear up with you as you go. That's the very shorthand version. To answer your question, I'm not a big boulder, though I do have a wall in my garage and like to practice that way. It's not really my thing, but it's a great way to stay in shape. Um, Top roping is cool. I love to lead climb. I can't lead climb. Obviously, top rope you can do a lot harder, but I love to lead climb. I thoroughly enjoy it. I like doing multi-pitch trad climbing, which obviously you do even easier when you're doing that. But uh, so I do love to lead. It's so yeah. insane. I. It's so so fun. It's you've so taken fun. me yeah. a bunch of times, and I, I love know. rappelling. Rappelling is my thing. I really dig <laughs> Paul, that. But <laughs> Paul enjoys being done. We're gonna go down now. Yay! Like, Yay! Hey, look at you yeah. up there on the rock face, and look at me down here standing safely on the ground. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, but we also have that thing where when we get up to the edge of something. You're standing back going, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, there's an edge over there. And I'm standing at the end with my toes in the wind going, this is awesome. (laughs) We're just just different in that regard. (laughs) I totally get that, yeah. I mean, adding this to the the adrenaline surge activities of life, you know, so rock climbing's on your list for, you know, up there with me for speeding tickets and, you know, it's, it's up there still. Nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well, but you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna parlay this into another question. What I do find interesting, there's a weird there's a weird thing. I don't even know how much you and I have talked about this, Paul. There's a really weird shift that happens though when you become a parent, hmm. because without even trying, honestly, there's no like at least I didn't like sit down and think hmm, I should look at life differently. But once you become a parent, <laughs> you are so aware of the fact that you are responsible for this little person who has this life ahead of them. And we've all heard plenty of stories about people with parents, without parents, the effect of parents. Absolutely. I think we can all agree yeah. that having parents around is, be- is better, okay, for a, for a growing child. So if you are a person like we are that, takes, um, that, that partakes in highly dangerous activities, you start to think about those realities. Look, I'll go an extreme version. Nico Rosberg is a young father. Yeah. He yeah. looked at his life, went, I achieved my goal. I'm F1 champion. You know what I'm going to be now? I'm going to be around. <laughs> I mean, that's what he decided. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I hate to say it, but there's an extreme example. So, Andy, you actually asked a question. Andy Lamb asked a question on Instagram of me. He said, first baby coming in July. Huge car enthusiast. Wants his son. Congratulations. He wants his son to have a passion for cars. How did I do it? That's an interesting <laughs> question, Andy. Uh, here's what I would say to you. Uh, my my son, okay, is is a little stuck because he has my wife that is an actress dancer, and me. I'm a guy that I like solo sports. I like to ski. I like to climb. I'm not a team sport guy. I not don't want to play basketball. I don't care about football. I know this is sacrilege to some of you. This is just how I'm <laughs> wired. So guess what? My son is interested in climbing. He's interested in dancing, and he likes cars. Why? Because his crazy parents like those things. I don't think you have to try real hard, Andy. I, I think it, it is a very natural progression of the things that you show passion about. Your kids are going to go, well, what is that? And why why is that so cool? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think the larger question, and look, my son's seven right now. This is the larger question for me. Which of those passions burn out? Which of those fall away? They probably won't fall away in me, but which ones did he come to one day and be like, that's just stupid. 
I don't like that. You know, and that could be cars for a while. He might reach a part, part in his teenage years where he's like, why would you drive, Dad? I know you think they're cool, but you're an old man. I want an autonomous pod. That may happen. Exactly. I have no idea if I, that's going to happen. But here was the thing, Andy. I kind of unapologetically drove quickly with my son. I didn't do the – I mean, I didn't drive recklessly by any means. But I drove quickly. I just drive quickly. So I drove quickly with my son. I engaged in that with him. I mean, you know, fast on ramps and these kind of things. It's just always been part of his life. And then every now and then, here's the, I think this is the tipping point. I feel like I'm ranting, but this is the tipping point. Okay. There is that thing where you're watching, oh, children's capacity to watch things over and over is staggering. <laughs> it's It's staggering. <laughs> they can find well, the best yeah. Pixar movie. They can find the very few really good kids' shows. They can find the best one of those. But on about the 50th viewing, you want to kill the television. It, it, it must die. So what you start to do, Andy, is you start to find what can I watch with you that I like that is my show that isn't going to be terrible for your young developing brain. This is the question. And honestly, Top Gear Grand Tour, these are great. Yeah, just, they are. yeah, they are. You know what, <laughs> son? Pretty pictures of cool cars. Dada likes cars. Let's watch this car show. He's been watching old episodes of Top Gear with me since he was about three. And some days he really doesn't want to watch Top Gear. But you know what, son? We're watching Top Gear. Other days he's like, Dad, let's watch some Top Gear. That's so, so funny. That is one of those things that also has helped. Let's be honest. Those shows are fun. And so watching that car content, I mean, one of the reasons, honestly, that we keep our stuff family-friendly is because cars can be family-friendly content. And I've watched how it's helped my son develop. So, Andy, I'm off on a tear here, but hopefully that's helpful. Absolutely. I would add copious amounts of Legos and Hot Wheels. Don't mm. forget those two. You've got to dump those in the mixing bowl and, you know, stir, make sure it's yeah. mixed thoroughly. And, uh, yeah. you know, that's, that's part of the equation. So yeah, that's uh, that's pretty good advice. I like that. It's just you're right. By virtue of the in things that you're interested in, kids pick yeah. up on that stuff. I mean, you, we all have stories about my dad was into this or my mom was super oh, yeah. into of course. this thing. And of course, that's yeah. kind of where I picked it up. Whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and and my son's still young enough. No, no, I already said it. My son's still young enough that look. Let's look on the list of activities between my wife and I: skiing, climbing, dancing for her, uh, cars. Yeah. yeah. Biking, guess what my son likes? Let me read that list back. That's, I mean, that's what he <laughs> likes right now. That, it, that will change. I mean, there is, there is a huge ticking clock above my head until that changes because it will change. Oh, Some and chocolate. Stick. Don't forget that. Well, yes, but that's really not. I mean, that's, that's a low bar. Making a child like chocolate, really low bar. <laughs> but so, I yeah, mean, but, uh, the, the mm, copious right. amounts. I mean, you're you right. could back a dump truck to your door and you're like, are we sure that's enough? Yeah, exactly. Do you have another one of these? Because <laughs> I'll be done kind of soon. Yeah, exactly. you're right. Exactly. All right. Bretston, 1975, asked us if aliens visited Earth and you were given the job to show them the pinnacle of automobile engineering, what car would you show them? And mm. that's assuming you're only allowed one car. Well... I think aliens would be here for a different reason than driving. <laughs> we've driven across the galaxy. I think we've driven enough. I mean, they could squash <laughs> us with their death rays or their spaceships or whatever. And you're right. They've got spaceships already that go really fast across light years and galaxies. And they would say, that, that's all the car does? It just rolls? That's it? <laughs> so getting past that... And assume yes. they were, A, small enough to fit in the cars, and B, interested in actually driving, because they yes. probably already know how to drive, right? Who knows? Who knows? Of course, my car would have to have a Porsche badge on it somewhere. Or... I'm not surprised. Or a McLaren. I'm up there okay. for both of those cars as far as the pinnacle of engineering. And we're talking hybrid cars. We're talking the supercars as well. Mm, I mean, we mm, could okay. go Tesla. We could go electric. But electric cars have actually been around for years and years and years. It's just yeah. now we're getting into the democratization and affordability on a mass scale for electric sure. cars. They've sure. actually been invented. Heck, we had electric motorcycles, you know, a long time ago. They, they've been around. So that mm -hmm. technology. Mm -hmm. But 
I look at it as the engineering, the materials, the fit and finish, the longevity, all that kind of stuff, the way things are bolted, screwed, glued, all that kind of stuff. That's yeah, kind of what yeah. I'm thinking. Okay. And Ferrari's up there, but I still maintain something with a Porsche badge. So I'm thinking 918 Spider. That's interesting. Kind of, okay. Kind of for me. I'm surprised by my answer. These yeah, are aliens. That, I agree. The and they have limbs. Rolls. And they have limbs in the right place, and they want to be involved. Right. I agree. And I agree. they can actually fit in the seat and all that stuff. And yeah. But but the interesting part about this question, though, and this is all dawning on me right away because I actually hadn't marked this one. I'm glad you did it, though. <laughs> one of the things about it, though, is that cars do occupy that weird place in man, in, in the history of man. And what I mean is I know I'm sounding grandiose, but follow me here. They are simultaneously engineering achievement and object of passion. So they are art and engineering and science. They're all of these things that man is capable of kind of wrapped up in one object. You can have really cool architecture, but it ju does just stay still. <laughs> you can have really luxurious things, but you cannot drive them at high speed. You know what I mean? You can have nice art on your wall. You follow what I'm saying? Right, here. right, right. Cars, cars do that in a way that kind of nothing else does, really. I mean, you could say yachts, you could say planes, but they're not ubiquitous like the car is. So that kind of brings me to an answer I'm surprised by here. Okay. Because it's not a car I want to own. But if you want to show off, this is what we man can do while solving problems to build a car. I have to go Bugatti Veyron or Chiron. Yeah, those are up there. Those are because madness. They're yeah. Because they're solving problems that nobody else is having to solve while making a car that's not a stripped out just cage with a seat hang on. It's a nice place to be. Styling notwithstanding. I'm not a huge fan of the styling. Chiron's better, but I'm not a huge fan of the styling. They're not, obviously, the kind of cars I like. I like small, light canyon carvers. Not the Bugattis. But, <laughs> but they probably they're could, having, actually, but scary enough. But having to deal with the high speeds they have to deal with and the sheer amount of air and gas consumption and the massive engine and all the radiators and all the things those cars do to accomplish their big numbers while still being a car worth one to two million dollars – there's a there's a staggering amount of engineering prowess on display there, so that would be my answer. I thought you were going to go for the the Seinfeld bit where uh, <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but it was something along the lines of, "We figured out how to go into space and build rockets that travel millions of miles, so we could yeah. land on the moon to do what? Drive, drive around. around. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. His comment is, as I'm quoting him here, his comment is, "There is no more male idea." On planet Earth, <laughs> then let's fly to the moon and drive around. Exactly. I love that, though. That, that, that could practically be another shirt. But anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I know many times we've talked about, you know, you, you're, you're the family person trying to get a car you like, but of course you also have kids. Do oh, you yeah. also have a dog? This is the other struggle. Because the kid eventually gets to a place where they're going to get a little bit neater. I you mean, you're still going to deal with the random things. Out of the back seat and on the floorboards, you get to stop there, finding there's, surprises. There's few, there's fewer thrown sippy cups. There's not the random get sick in the back. This becomes lessened. However, if you have a dog, that dog never gets neater. And if you have, like my wife has a Cayenne, leather seats. We have a dog. She has claws. This could be a nightmare. What you've got to do at some point is figure out a way to, A, tether your dog to keep it from it if it's like my dog running all over the car. Exactly. And, B, figure out a way to cover up those leather seats so they just don't get beat on all the time. And that's where Covercraft is awesome because not only do they do all the typical things you're thinking of, the car covers and all that kind of stuff, they have a whole dog section. You can just – you can corral the dog and keep it from wrecking your seats just by going Huge. to the canine section of their website. Well, they're more than just this. They do car covers. They've got floor mats. They've got all kinds of protection. Everything you need to protect your car or truck from getting damaged in the first place, you know, as I'm talking about, cleaning everything out is great, and I do that a lot. I, I don't yeah. let people eat in my car because it's work for me. I have to clean it out and vacuum the Cheetos out, and I don't want the sticky soda anywhere. But keeping it from getting dirty is – I mean, that's the point. But if you can't do that and, yeah, you just – life intervenes, Covercraft has got a product for you. So visit our sponsor, Covercraft.com, whether it's dogs, kids, life – Whatever it is, spilled soda, they've got you covered. Go to Covercraft.com and use the code DEBATE at checkout for free shipping in the continental U.S. Well, let's jump right into the podcast here for Tanner. Tanner yeah. S. 
is a 31-year-old mechanical engineer working in the aerospace industry near Denver, Colorado, mm -hmm. who is married with a six-year-old son. And his wife has a CX-5, so he's got a Mazda CX-5, and he drives mm -hmm. his wife's old Mazda 3 hatchback. Yep. And apparently he's bored to death. Yes, he is. Which We're is sorry. I mean, which is he why misses the manual transmission, the beginning thing, is he misses the manual. And, yeah. You know, yeah. There, there, there's things we like about the Mazda 3, but he's just, he's wanting something fun. But where this gets difficult is his wife, sadly, has been sick for a while. And so medication and treatment for her is the price of an expensive car payment. Mm -hmm. Life just invades here. And I, I'm sorry to hear that, Tanner. We hope your wife gets better. We hope there is yeah, there's a, there's a light at the end of the tunnel here. Yeah. But this is where you are right now because you're talking about, look, I could wait. There's changes coming, but I kind of want something to solve the itch right now. What do I do? Which leads us to that question that many of you ask. How do I find a $5,000 car? Or what's a good $5,000 car? That's the start of this. And then we descend into much of the disease. <laughs> well, with $5,000, I have to admit, it'd be very easy to crank up the Paul limiter and blow it instantly. But I got to yeah. say, I've got to respect this price point because mm -hmm. it's very particular. And at $5,000, it's not six. It's not seven. That's the point of the $5,000 yeah. car. So yeah. I'm going to be very good and Look at you. really, really try to stick to this. I've got a suggestion. I've actually got a couple suggestions, but they do tie into some things you've been thinking about. Tanner has seen our videos. He's watched 944. He's watched the the recent uh, 240Z review. Mm -hmm. He's thought about a Saab 900. He's looked at yeah. BMW E30s. He's looked at all kinds of stuff. Again, manual transmission and something that he could wrench on. He's interested in the recipe, the front engine, rear drive, manual transmission, something he can maintain and maybe mm -hmm. fix up mm -hmm. a little bit. Of course, that comes down to time, but maybe yeah. that's worth it because $5,000 car, yeah, it'd take a little bit of cash to maybe get things running or get things running how you want them to run. Yeah. So what he's asking here, is it worth it to go down this path? Is the $5,000 car worth it or is being patient and just sitting with what you have now and then waiting for a later time in your life to have more money, what's the best? And I got to say, it's not always the car. At this price point, mm. it might not necessarily be the car. And sometimes we've recommended to you, our listeners, to stay where you're at. It's not yeah. often. And yeah. <laughs> True. I, it's not it's often. not often. Yeah. I could probably yeah. count them on one hand, but sometimes it's not worth it because of, you know, you've got to have the proclivity towards wrenching it yourself and maintaining yeah. it and all that stuff. He's given us a long list of his automotive background as well, which has also apparently been not so great with the most recent Mazda Speed 3 being actually a bit of a bummer just from repairs, yeah. DMV getting registered, hailstorms, insurance, not paying for the repairs or paying for the repairs because they didn't total it. The body yeah. shops and a lot of fraud, and then the turbo started leaking oil. And I mean, he he actually describes this car as cursed. He loved it, but it it got it got backed into something the first day he owned it. That was the beginning of the nightmare. Then all the other stuff Paul was listing. I mean, in the short time he owned this, and this is before he had the hand me down Mazda from his wife. He had this Mazda Speed Three, shopped, bought it, loved it, so plagued with problems mm -hmm. that when they finally unloaded it. They found out that the prior owner had had frame uh, work done that hadn't been disclosed, which made the car, now that he was finally selling it, worth almost nothing. I mean, it was a, it's, a, <laughs> it's a terrible story, Tanner, and I'm very sorry. So this, this is such a, a bummer situation, but we are left with this $5,000 car question. And I love where you're going, Paul, and that is, you know, should he wait? And there is some merit in that for having more money, but... I sense Tanner's frustration here. I sense his <laughs> I need too. for I'm, an outlet. I'm reading between the lines here, and it's he's yeah. almost screaming with, I've got to have a manual transmission. I've got to just have some fun. And I think it's, I think it's also there's an outlet level of this, not just the driving element, but just also the I can work on it, I can make it mine. There's that, there's that zen uh, moment of just working on your car or even just driving a car you love. I mean, you and I do it for therapy. It is therapeutic. So there is that for sure. Um, 
I've got some recommendations. I've also got some kind of global thoughts for chasing the $5,000 car, which a lot of you have asked about. So I want to cover all of that. Our friend that uh, we we both knew in college, he lives in Atlanta, and his name's Steve. Steve, hello. He <laughs> asked us a while back what $5,000 car should he get, and I don't think I told you this, but he got an 07 Honda CRV because uh-huh. of four kids. Yeah, and, because it's Steve. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, apparently, one of the airbags had been replaced because he had the Takata airbag thing to deal with. Mm-hmm. And he was now responsible for replacing the passenger side. And he said, I've been kind of driving it around for a little while, having not replaced the passenger side airbag. So whoever jumps in the front seat with him, you might be screwed because you might have you know shrapnel, shrapnel shot through your body in an accident. Yikes. And yeah. uh, he's just had to drive it himself for a little while. <laughs> It's a little strange buying a used car and then people have parked them until they could get the airbags replaced, which means Honda had to rent them a car and massive expense on and on. So he ended up with a CRV, 07. It's fine. It's fine. But that won't do for a guy like Tanner here. So we've got to get into something. But as I was saying before, at this price level, all the, the cool, amazing, fun stuff seems to have salvage or rebuilt titles. Now... At this, at this price point, that might be okay. And I'll give you an example here of what I found. I found a 1999 E36 BMW M3. Okay? Good. Okay. Go on. Go on. It's exactly $5,000 on the internet okay. here for sale. 83,000 miles. Okay. Dynan aftermarket parts. It's, okay. It looks to be in pretty good shape cosmetically on the outside it's silver it's got the nice wheels Mm -hmm. those nice chunky five spoke wheels it looks pretty good the car had rolled backwards and dented the trunk lid so it needs a new trunk lid the seats look a little bit beat down and some parts have fallen off so it needs some tlc but (laughs) apparently it runs and then if you bought it for 5k and you put some work into it sure you'd have a pretty awesome m3 but We've got to consider insurance. Even though it's an older car, it's still pretty hot. And as much as I want to get you in this car, and it was a manual, by the way, but it does need love. The owner says specifically on there, the car needs love. It hasn't been driven in a while. It never Mm -hmm. really got Mm -hmm. driven that much. I just need to get rid of this thing. But it looks great. The photos make it look really great. I just, you know. The beginning of the end, Tanner. There it is right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had talked about E36 M3s being four or $5,000. Somewhere in yeah. there. Yeah. A lot higher miles than the one I found here. But, man, I'm thinking dining in aftermarket parts. I mean, just the parts alone are worth more than $5,000. Sure. And you could have this, 83000 I mean, it looked Great, but yeah, it needs some work, needs some love. So you could go that route, or mm-hmm. you could go with the higher mileage something. It's the reliable, it's the Honda, it's the Mazda. But the problem is, you've kind of done that. He's had the Mazda yeah. Protege 5, he's had the Mazda Speed 3, yep. he currently yep. has a Mazda 3. I mean, all those kinds of things that we start to think about is sort of like, all right, you've kind of started to experience these, had some bad luck, and no wonder you're turned off. Mm-hmm. I just, I wonder, I'm kind of of the mindset to hang on for a little bit. Can you hang on for a little bit? I, 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 I sense your frustration too here, but I, I'm just, I'm wondering well, if it's worth it unless you go like the yeah. CRV route, like, like our friend Steve. I, I'm just, well, the funny thing about asking. the Steve equation, I, I think I joked about you, about this with you when he wrote to me, he said, what's the best car? He, he originally wrote and said, I've got to, I want to spend about three grand. What's the best three to four thousand dollar car? And I wrote him back and I said, Steve, the car you want is an eight thousand dollar car. Yeah. <laughs> so, which was not the answer he was looking for. But, but I want to speak to the to the thing in general here about the five thousand dollar car. We've talked about it. We generally don't recommend the five thousand dollar car because, and I know some of you are already screaming at me. You don't agree. Okay, but follow my logic here, because generally the car you get at that price point will need maybe half its value again in the first year. Not a guarantee, yeah, not guarantee. But if you buy a five, if you buy a five thousand dollar car and you put twenty five hundred into it in the first year, you haven't bought a five thousand dollar car anymore. You just started there, so right. that's why we right. are we we talk about it cautiously. 
Now, to look at it on the other side, because I've done this. As I have a sports car that I drive year-round, there is a part of me that has just gotten on with – I've played this roulette game. I'm going to put in $3,000 locally. Just see what else, what's out there. <laughs> what's just out to look, there? Just to look for the winter beater. This is the way to shop for the $5,000 car. So this is my recommendation to you, Tanner, is to go to your local Craigslist. You could do Auto Trader, but this is what Craigslist is made for, honestly. It can get shady, I will admit, but shop in <laughs> you your think? area. Yeah, seriously. Shop in your area and put in your price cap and just see what's there. Because the problem with the $5,000 car scenario is it's really – and I have a couple of recommendations, but it's really hard to say, look for this model. Because like Paul's saying, he's found an M3, E36 M3 for five grand. Is that an E36 M3 you want? I don't know if it is. It's it's a tough call. the thing that's interesting about this price point is that a lot of times it's either cars that are terribly beat down or they're cars that an owner is trying to get rid of, and they're actually kind of nice. The thing mm-hmm. I find anytime I shop at this hyper low level, five grand or below, that I feel like the best way to do it is to look on your local Craigslist. Here in Utah, we have something called KSL. It's the Craigslist equivalent. It's a Utah thing. I don't know. But uh, you look on that local outlet and put in that price point and just start scrolling. Just take time and start scrolling. I think you'll be surprised by the stuff that is for sale in your local area that you can go, really? That mm-hmm. car for that little? Yeah. And start shopping around to see what you can be surprised by. Because it's, I feel like it's hard for us to go shop at this car at that money because you might only find terrible ones or your part of the country might not have one. You can be really shocked by it. I would avoid the old 944. You brought it up here. I would avoid that because everyone I know that's bought an old one has put a lot of money into it. You just end up they're, doing that. You just do. They're great cars. They're great cars. But you would, yeah, there's going to have to be budget money there. I think you should look at, uh, what about MR2s? MR2 Spiders? Those hmm. are unloved. They are. They're unloved, but they're Toyota products. And they are genuinely fun to drive. Of course, Of course, the Miata is on this list. Of course it is. You said you're concerned about fitting in a Miata. You're not sure that you fit in it very well. The uh, MR2 has got a little bit more of an upright uh, windshield. I remember fitting in that a little better than the uh, NANB Miata, the MR2 Spider. Uh, So I would look for those. Maybe I would look for, I have to say it, Nissan 300ZX. Sure, sure. That's out there. That's out there. Those cars aren't easy to work on, but you can get them cheap. They do run. You can do the maintenance yourself. I've done it. Uh, expect to have scraped knuckles because the clearances are tight, but uh, you can get a non-turbo for that. You absolutely can, and those are fun cars to drive. Um, I will say it because we're so close. You know, Fiat 500 of Bart's two, three years old <laughs> are close. down to almost seven grand. We're They're close. They're not five, though. Cl- They're, not They're not five. five. That's the problem. So we are shopping for the mystery $5,000 car, and I wish I could say, Tanner, this is your car. I wish I could. I think it's what's in your area and then start doing due diligence on what kind of condition is that car in. I think there are options, but you got to yeah. look locally. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. And Bring a Trailer is one of my favorite sites to browse and look. It's a little deceiving because it says, you know, bid 5000 You think, that's a 5000 Oh, no, that's just one of the no, bids, and that's just where it's stalled out at bidding. It's 5000 because it's not all done for two weeks. Yeah, exactly. You that's know, a problem. It gives mm-hmm. you a lot of ideas, and if you're willing to go back further, an older car that's still kind of nice, I mean, how about Honda Preludes or mm, yeah. you know, CRXs? I mean, the CRXs run forever in, dis- in spite of you. I mean, they just you can put mm-hmm. 200,000 miles on them, and that's a small, lightweight car, and they're yeah. actually pretty fun. Like, Very fun. The Surprisingly chuckable CRX, cars. Yeah, yeah. That's Kind of fun. It doesn't quite fit your recipe here, the front engine rear drive. But True. there's a lot of stuff to consider out there. I mean, I'm finding Z3s, Z3 convertibles, 100,000 miles. And I think, okay, five grand, it's a Z3. It's the classic Roadster shape, and yeah. it fits the recipe. But 100,000 miles on an almost you know, 15-, 16-year-old car or more, yeah. huh. I, that's, that's where it comes from me down to the – all right, it's not a $5,000 car. As Todd says, you're going to be putting money into it anyway. So why can't you think about, you know, hanging on if you can, if you can, and saving your money a little bit more so then you could get a 10000 Because at ten to twelve, Todd and I have discussed a lot of cars that are suddenly, really? Like <clears throat> Fiesta STs and sure. Bart 500s sure. and, you mm-hmm. know, all those kind of fun things that have dropped dramatically in price that we didn't expect – 
huh, now that's kind of interesting. A lot fewer miles. You're going to spend less on maintenance and you've got yourself a better car. That's where yeah. I'm at and I'm, I'm with you, Tanner. I'm frustrated at the – just the realities of you got to put money into stuff. I just mm-hmm. – especially at this price point. So it's, it's always – we can argue up one side and down the other. I mean I'm finding loads of stuff on here at the $5,000 price point. The cool stuff is a lot of miles and yeah. it will take a lot of maintenance. The not as cool stuff like a Civic from 2007 will run and run and run and run. Is that <laughs> going to check the boxes for you? Probably not, so. yeah. Ooh, but, I mean, I'm looking Prius at, with 200,000 miles on at, it. Yuck. I'm looking huh. at an 01 MR2 Spider right now. 01 oh. MR2 Spider. See, I do like that one, though. That is, that is an anomaly, actually. 170,000 miles. So, of course, it's high miles, but it's a Toyota. So 170,000 miles. The person here says it just runs. It's a blast to drive. Yes, it's manual transmission. This is a low-rent economy Toyota interior, but it's a mid-engine car. It's, it's an actually surprisingly fun car to drive. I've always liked these Spiders. Driven them a couple times. Really like them. Here's a yellow one. $4,200. Unbelievable. That is the anomaly, actually. Miles. I, I think, really I think it's a contender. I think it's a genuine contender. So that's an example. The 300ZX you could do. Uh, but, I mean, this is an 01. That's not that old. You know, the 300ZX would be another 10 years older than that, you know. So I, I, I am putting that out there as an, a Miata alternative. I think you may fit in it better, too. I fit in it a little bit better. Um, and you're now mid-engined. Look at that. We went exotic for you, Tanner. <laughs> That's how crazy I went. But, uh, yeah. Oh, a 2009 Chevy HHR LS. Perfect. This should Done, say, Tanner. I will pay yeah. you $5,000 to drive yes. this car. Now available for me to pay you a $5,000 stipend to get it out of my driveway. Yikes. Yes, that's how that should go. Yikes. All right. Well, Tanner, thank you for writing to us. I do like the MR2, though. That is such an outlier. It's such a – it does kind well, of check the boxes. But you got to still buy those, smart. Yeah, because it's one of those. I mean, you, you look them up. There's a lot of them for sale for ten to fifteen grand. a lot of them. You get down to that five level, there's a handful. Mm-hmm. But it's a car that I feel like is almost worth the dice roll, okay? You know, kind of like a Miata is. It's in that category. So I think it's worthwhile. You know, it seems like the entire car industry has gone to turbocharged engines. And we've mm-hmm. gotten spoiled with turbos across the board. I mean, we talk about it all the time. And it almost makes yeah. your car feel slow without a turbo on it. You know that? Well, but that, that's the thing is that I feel like 10 years ago when the occasional thing was turbo – all we talked about was horsepower. Now everybody's obsessed with torque because torques are supposed to be a table. And so you get a naturally aspirated car, my RS or even your Porsche. The naturally aspirated cars where there's a build in torque yep. and it's not instant torque, we kind of go, where'd the torque go? Because we're all turbo obsessed. Agreed. But that makes engines just, I mean, there's heat soak, engines get beat on. Turbos are hard on the whole system. Yep, yep, which means Amsoil Signature Series is directed specifically at turbocharged cars. And these mm-hmm. this signature series is four times better than their competitors in protection and deposits. Now, I'm not sure how that's possible, but this was the result. <laughs> it's because they've yeah, been blending seriously. synthetics. They've been doing this for over 40 years and are devoted to protection. So if you're yeah. wanting to get the and- torque that Todd's talking about here, go to <laughs> amsoil.com and look up what your car needs. They're making it easy for you. All you have to do is mm-hmm. use their car finder because they've got a product for nearly every fluid in your car. Yeah, if, if, it's, if it's a fluid and you put it in your car, Amsoil's pretty much got you covered and can tell you which one to use. And, I mean, I, I don't know how they make their stuff last as long as it does, but every test they put it up against, it's like, here was the standard, and we're way past it. So definitely support them because they're supporting us. They're interested in the quality of our show. They're obsessed with the quality of oil. They're devoted to protection. So amsoil.com, if you're doing your own oil, you need to go there. We have so many more questions we can cover. Uh, I have uh, five or six more that I noted in addition to the ones we did at the top of the podcast. So let's let's shift our way into questions. On Facebook, Mark Mark Butler writes to us asking our thoughts about adding tech to a car with a car stereo upgrade to get Apple CarPlay or Bluetooth and Nav, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We've rarely talked about car stereo upgrades, and I'm going to tell you a little story. When I was 16, I was a base head. (laughs) I installed my buddy's Fisher 10s, like the home speakers that stand in your living room. We took them out of his parents' living room. I shoved into the back of the car, 
and did a crossover off the amp to lower it to, to two hertz for a, a really low <laughs> I mean you could hear me from a mile away. I mean we're talking old school Unbelievable. Did his bass parents head. wonder where the speakers went? <laughs> his dad uh, was an airline pilot and he honey, was never home. Let's put it that way. Didn't didn't we used to have speakers? They were large. Where'd they go? <laughs> Eventually they did, but for a while we got away with it. And uh <laughs> I mean, I was admittedly listening to Kid Rock before he was famous, like all of his really early stuff and um, <clears throat> a lot of other uh, questionable. <laughs> but I'm, but hey, I'm I was 16. I was 16. Uh, right? And I'm still envisioning this conversation with your friend and his parents. Honey, <laughs> where'd our speakers go? Oh, they're in Paul's car. They're in Paul's car. Is he taking them somewhere? No, no, we wired them up. We wired them up. He's coming just, out. Can you hear him? That's one of those parental moments where your gears just grind to a halt. And you just end up shaking your head like an idiot. Like, I, I just don't have words. I've got no response <laughs> exactly. to what I was just told by this person that I gave birth to. I don't know what to do. Yeah, it's one of those moments. <laughs> Mark, I'm all about adding the upgrade, to be honest. If you know you're going to keep a car for at least two to three years or two to three more years, it's absolutely worth it because it's an easy, inexpensive way – to get a lot of good tech right away. And nowadays, I think car manufacturers, well, some of them, are building their their double-din stacks to accept mm-hmm. more of a classic nav screen shape rather than for a while that, you know, the late 2000s Camrys were crazy shape. And to buy the aftermarket radio, you had this weird shaped piece of plastic to integrate Inserts, it. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, now they're back to kind of, all right, a better form factor and personally, I like Panasonic. I like Alpine. As a matter of fact, I believe Alpine has made the BMW factory radios for a long time. That's all Alpine tech in there. But I, uh, I really do – I'm all about it. And uh, it gets you mm-hmm. a lot of tech. You can add cool stuff, cool features. And then, of course, you're going to go down the rabbit trail of, huh, my factory speakers sound terrible with this brand new – you know, amp and yes. stereo and all this stuff. Yes, it can become a black hole to put your money for sure. You know, but but just usability wise, Mark, I I couldn't I couldn't want to back this up more. I mean, I did it in my Sabaru. My Sabaru was an 05, and it had the exact same interior of a WRX wagon from 05, including the base uh, original manufacturer stereo, which was terrible, and. It didn't have any connection points. There was no Bluetooth. There was no auxiliary port. There was nothing because it was 05, okay? I got a double DIN for less than 200, installed it myself, and it had Bluetooth and Bluetooth streaming audio. I spent, again, like less than 200 in an afternoon, and suddenly I could use my phone in the way that I use my phone in every one of these cars that we drive all the time. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. I suddenly was able to call people Bluetooth hands-free. I could stream music. <laughs> like, what the? I, I couldn't do that this morning, and now I can. That is the thing that ages the fastest. I mean, that's what we joke about with nav screens. You know, my, my wife's 2010 Cayenne, that nav screen feels like it's 20 years old already. Yeah, it's so funny. And it's not. But that ages stuff fast. So I think it, it depends a little bit on the car. The higher-end cars you get to, the more that aftermarket stereo starts to look really out of place. But if you're talking about a car that its original price was probably you know, 40 45 and below – Get the stereo you want. You'll probably only only like the car more. Yeah, you know? agreed. When agreed. you get into the more expensive cars, they make them a little bit harder to do this to, and it can look a little oddball. But we're talking ultimately, look, I love the stereo to sound good. That's great and all. I want my phone to be connected. I just do. I, I want to be able to get music to, to, the, to it easily. I want to be able to have hands-free calls. That's become something that has become a, I have to have this, and aftermarket can make it possible in just about any car. You know, what's crazy is my Porsche, the 2015 Cayman GTS, mm-hmm. does not have Bluetooth that will sync Pandora or anything else. It's only phone. It's only phone. There's no streaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no That's, streaming capability. I'm sure. Porsche's been very late to the party on that, for sure. They definitely have. Because, yeah, our, we don't have it in our, our Cayenne either. Yeah. Terrible at horns, too. Porsche does not do <laughs> horns. They just don't. They're 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 not they're not used to the things that people have to do when they commute. You need your horn in stop and go traffic, and you need right. your Bluetooth streaming. Neither right. of these matter when you're going as fast as you can on a back road. Yes, exactly. I or getting a speeding ticket. <clears throat> yeah, that's a separate thing. The separate problem. Yeah. <laughs> do you see Jared's question? I like Jared's question on Facebook. He said, "In our opinion, 
with what's happening in the current marketplace, where is the line between a car that's a grand tourer and a car that's a sports car? Oh, yes, I like this. And do we actually think both markets still exist? I would say you're right in that the lines are becoming very, very blurred. And they're becoming blurred, in my opinion, because the sports cars are becoming nicer places to be. And mm-hmm. that's what's making them crowd into the into the grand uh, touring world. I mean, typically the grand tourer was long, long nose, big engine that doesn't have to work hard. You're sitting in luxury and you can just saw through miles. That's the classic grand touring recipe. You know, the think of the Aston Martins of the world. That's classic grand tour. Totally. But when totally. when you think of a, a Mustang and a Camaro, I know I did just jump from Aston Martin to Mustang and Camaro. But when you think about the fact that <laughs> exactly. what's been happening to those cars is they, they're trying to make them better dynamically, but they're also trying to make them nicer inside. You're right. You're seeing the crowding. I would say both markets still exist based entirely on car size. I think that's the, the deciding factor. The cars that weigh, let's say, 32, 3,300 pounds and below, those are still your sports cars. Once you're getting close to 4,000 pounds, you're getting into Grand Touring World. And the muscle cars are kind of in a no-man's land between the two, but that would be my deciding factors. Agreed. I'm looking at BMW. I mean, remember the old 840 and 850 CIs? Total mm-hmm. Grand Tour. You know, long legs, big, heavy car, yeah. comfortable, yeah, yeah, yeah. fast, yeah. luxurious. You know, but they still built small, nimble, lightweight sports cars. Even the mm-hmm. 6 Series, mm-hmm. that's a Grand yeah. Tour. And I even think of the i8 as not a sports car. That's still, hey, BMW does the latest tech in a GT car. Hmm, interesting. Okay. I I kind of look at it that way. And so there's still room for, as you said, the lightweight cars. I mean, I wish, I mean, I I wish the SLK were to, you know, lighter weight because the SLs are the big grand tourers. They want the SLK to be the sports cars, but they've become so luxurified and lexified and the mercedes has yeah. become le- yeah. lexified huh <laughs> i don't know where to file that in my head can, can a bmw become lexified does that happen sure i'm very confused now yeah. sure okay. i'm i've really confused myself anyway yes the uh i just feel like mercedes could have a really nimble lightweight fun sports car that would pretty much revolutionize the low to mid section of their brand Hmm. I mean, Mercedes is, I feel, ripe for something like that. Hmm. I just, I look at just about everything they make as sort of big, yeah. heavy cars. Even their small stuff is still kind of heavy. Yeah, surprisingly so. Surprisingly so. You know, I like that you brought up BMW in this discussion because I think they are an interesting mark that you can look through and just go, oh, yeah, I see the lines because you're right. You park an M2 next to an M6 and you say to somebody, which one's the Grand Tour? Pretty clear. Yeah, which oh, one's yeah. a sports car? Also pretty clear. So, but and that is that is decided by size and a little bit of look and also weight. Um, yeah, that's interesting. But but the but Jared's right. The lines are becoming blurred here. Of course, I'm the idiot that wants to drive the uh, the 2,500 pound uh, sports car year round with the flag on the roof, so you can tell where I am. That becomes true sports cars for sure. Exactly. Well, Greg S.'s question about what year did cars become modern? I'd like to pontificate on this briefly. All right. I'm giving you the floor. Go for it. This is very interesting to me because if you think about it, cars in the 1960s were modern for the time. Yeah, true. Oh, definitely. Everything's – I know what you mean, Greg, and I'm not trying to dice it up too thinly here. I'm not trying to slice the onion. But if you know what I mean – you know, it, it it has to do with tech at the time, the tech available at the time. I mean, even cars in 1988, some of them had airbags. I kind of feel like that makes it a modern car. I mean, they had, you know, what we consider modern amenities, power windows and, you know, nice mm-hmm. air conditioning and all that kind of stuff. It wasn't cars from the 30s. So I come to today where, you know, we've got such hyper tech and everything is a screen but modern cars, I think, are still 20, 25 years old. I mean, would you consider a Nissan Skyline from 25 years ago? Is that a modern car? It's got mm-hmm. loads of power, fun to drive. Yeah, the interior is not you know, incredibly amazing, but it's got pretty much power everything. And yeah. you know, that's kind okay. of a modern car, even though it's 20, 25 years old. 
even the you know 20, 25 year old Porsches, something like that. I, I mean, you can tell there's there's a line, but in terms of driving dynamics and build quality and all that stuff, I'm I'm keeping my cutoff right in the 20 year, 25 year range at this point. But that's that's not gonna continue to creep up. That will that will still remain a you know a, a point in time even yeah. though tech yeah. is going to blossom and flourish and do a lot of crazy stuff from here on out, those are still modern cars. They're still cars we would consider buying and owning that aren't vintage mm -hmm. and classics. I mean, for me, that doesn't, you got to get way back to the seventies or sixties or something to have a classic quote unquote. Mm. Um, yeah. I wonder about for their times. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's, a, it's a moving line, isn't it? I mean, you, you can say 20 years from now, what's a modern car? Well, something built in the last 10 or 15 years. I mean, it is a moving line. I wonder about from a leaps perspective, like a common, this is now common text perspective. I wonder about OBD2. What was that? Like 97-ish? Sure. At that okay. point when, because by that point, you know, fuel injection has become ubiquitous and uh, cars have gotten, the ECUs on cars have become you know, you go back to cars from the 60s and 70s. ECU, what are you talking about? I got to right. change my timing. You know right. what I mean? So so ECUs get inter introduced. The car becomes computerized, computer monitored, if you will. But then OBD2 becomes standardized. Everybody's been doing their computers, and we all have different codes, and they all mean different things. No, 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 no. Everybody's doing this. OBD port, OBD2, these are the codes. This is what it means. This is how it works. I wonder, I feel like that's a dividing line. That that to me starts to say, okay, cars are getting modern now because you've got a a common thread in all of them, even though they still are very different animals. There's a common thread now, you know, versus the cars in the '60s. You know, line up your your Chevy next to your Ford, next to your Fiat, next to your uh, MG. Have fun, you know. <laughs> those cars yeah. are all very different. They they started to become a little more common thread. I'm I'm wondering. I don't know if that's right, but I, that that's what sticks out in my mind. That's interesting. I mean, even think of NASCAR. They didn't go to fuel injection until, what, early 2012, something like that, for the 2012 but season? But that's NASCAR. But that's NASCAR. But that's my point. 2010 cars for NASCAR are considered modern racing cars <laughs> that used really old tech for the has, sake has of anyone, using old tech. Has anyone ever just used NASCAR as a headline in the same, we're deciding what's modern? Has that happened before this podcast? I don't think so. <laughs> That's that's NASCAR is a very strange mixture of here's where here's where the roots were from the racing yeah. that yeah. they stay true to, but still mm -hmm. looking ahead and looking to aerodynamics and you know everything that makes up the modern chassis and the roll cage and the safety devices and all that kind of stuff. It's such a such a dichotomy in my head. It's it very is. strange. In spite of that reputation, there's some shocking amounts of. Just tech and interesting thinking going on. I, I love. I know this is going to sound random. I love the flaps on the roofs of the NASCARs. <laughs> yeah. That that when you're when you're driving forward because of the airflow, they're closed. But if you end up going backwards, all these flaps on the roof open to slow down the car. Mm -hmm. That that is simultaneously cutting edge genius, and <laughs> somebody thought this up 50 years ago and it still works. Right. It's both. It's both. I'm There's no you. computer controlled. Well, the computer sensed that the car was backwards, and so it deployed that. No. No, we're going backwards. And the air is, airflow has changed, and the flaps pop up. Problem yeah. solved. I mean, this kind of stuff is, is wonderfully genius and yet shockingly low tech. I think it's amazing. <laughs> I think it's one of the first times we've really dug into NASCAR on this podcast. Who knew that question would lead us to NASCAR? I didn't see that coming, by the way. I didn't see any any way that modern cars and NASCAR were going to connect. But you're welcome, dear listener. We've done exactly. it. Exactly. We're here for you. <laughs> All right. What else is on your list here? What, what else did uh, you find? Well, let's see. Uh, another one for me. Uh, I don't know why I, people are calling me out, but it's all good. Cars and Comments asked about the rack system that I use on my FRS. I have one bike rack I bought uh, a little over a year ago. It's a three-bike rack made by a company called Saurus. I bought it because I wanted something that I could mount on the back of a car and take off that was adjustable to put on both the FRS and the Cayenne. This will work for both. It works better, obviously, on the Cayenne, but I've put my bike and my son's bike on the back of the FRS and gone for a ride. I just 
driven them off, gone for a ride. It works great. The nice thing about the SARS is it's all plastic, pretty hard plastic. It adjusts pretty well, holds the bikes well. So that is what I use. They make a, a range of products. I use one that looks like, a, I don't know, kind of like a, a crescent moon with an arm off of it. That's what I end up using on that. And I have a bike that is a Fuji bike. And uh, it's a it's a used mountain bike I bought about a year ago, and uh, I love it. It's great, and it does the duty of riding behind my son as he gets better and better on his bike, and it also does the thundering down Mike mountain bike uh, trails, where I have the thought every now and then, if somebody's coming the other way, we're both dead. So uh, <laughs> it does all of the above. It's or a great. moose, if a moose charges you on the trail, and you know, yes, she's got. A we didn't have there. the moose on the on the trail story. Yeah. Are, are, are we are we headed down that road? Are we going to that story? We don't have to, but I just had to include it because it sticks out in my mind. I was uh, I was worried for us. I, I was wondering what's going to happen now. That, well, that. okay, but but here was the thing: we came around a corner, and in the trail, because in the summertime, the the simplest way through the brush for moose as well is the trail. The trail's open. Is the mountain bike trail? Exactly. And here's here's Mama Moose, who's probably about five to six feet tall at the shoulder, and her calf, <laughs> and they're walking down the trail, and we're biking, and now we have a problem. We have, we have, we have traffic. This is Park City traffic, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, yeah. So what do you do? So what we started doing was slowly walking along behind her, and Paul, <laughs> Paul was the smart one, because Paul stayed behind me. But uh, we're walking along <laughs> down the trail behind her, and she did that thing that you fear with Mama Moose, and that is she suddenly decided, I have a baby, and you're too close, and I'm coming for you. So she turns around and starts charging toward me, which honestly is not my favorite moment. That was not a moment that I thought, I'm glad I'm here right now. <laughs> but I did the only thing I could, which is I needed to get bigger. So I swung the bike up from between my legs and put the bike standing on its back wheel between me and her. She got close enough I could see whiskers, but she didn't get hit by the bike. She stopped short of the bike and kind of snorted at me like, okay, are we done now? And then turned around and walked away. So uh, that was me and the moose and the bike on the trail. And, uh, yeah, I have – honestly, I am not alone in this, Paul. I've talked to many other mountain bikers who have had that almost that exact same experience. However, I don't know how many have done the thing we then saw five minutes later. Oh, right. With the guy blasting by us. A guy came down that made yeah. us look like the patient guys. He was yelling and screaming and cussing that she dare be in the trail. We were like, it's a moose. It, uh, like, this is her home. This is, yeah. this is her mountain. People elsewhere in the world would come here to be in this moment right now to take pictures of Mama Moose. And you uh, you can't be angry enough about it. So he he literally mounted his bike and rode past us. We were literally still, but he rode past us as fast as he could and charged her on his bike. And Crazy. then he did the little bike thing that I did, but I'm pretty sure he tapped her with it. And then he chased her down the trail until she left the trail. We were astounded and horrified by that because I was just trying to walk behind her. We were all kind of going the same way. Anyway, there's random Mike mountain biking stories for the night. As yeah. my mother always said, when you're in bear country, you're in their country. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, I just need a 22 not... so I can shoot you in the leg and take off running. That's all I need. <laughs> this is not your world. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, uh, Scott Durrell's asking our thoughts on a car company with, with less than 1% market share, Tesla, mm -hmm. can be valued at more than two companies with respectively 17% and 15% market share, as in GM and Ford. How can Tesla now be valued higher? It's tech. And just yep. like any yep. speculative stock on the stock market, that's what drives the price. It's mm -hmm. driving the the interest in the promise and a lot of times in the price is built in the you know the promise of the next tech or next sales or whatever's coming next and that's what tesla represents not that gm and ford are not working on autonomy by the way ladies and gentlemen true true you didn't hear yeah. it here but yeah they they just seem to be pushing the boundaries so hard and it does seem strange, especially still being subsidized by the government and still having investment from Chinese dollars, that's still happening. Yes, it's still valued, but I, it's like the stock market now with car companies. Everybody is looking to what they're promising and what kind of tech they're going to come out with next. They're mm -hmm. seriously the apple of cars. It's 
yeah, the LG and the Samsungs and all that stuff are cool. And I, you know, you like Android. That's cool. But yeah. it seems like everybody wants the Apple. You know, we've yeah. talked to friends and, you know, various show enthusiasts here. Why are you hanging on for that Tesla Model 3 when you can have a Bolt now? Yeah, yeah. That's the question. Well, but there's just, a perception the reality. Tesla. There's yeah. a perception there. I mm-hmm. think that's a lot of what's driven right now. I expect that to fluctuate still. I mean, we're still in this heady pre-Model 3 full production days as of this podcast. Yeah, We're still yeah. not there. There's still wrinkles to be sorted out. That's still not a guarantee right now. So if you're listening to this, Tesla Model 3s are not yet in production at this point, but it's the promise <laughs> of what's coming. And that's why I feel like the value has shot up. The stock has just exploded. I, I'm yeah, it's floored. It's interesting. The last thing you and I should be doing, and, and and we always caveat this, is giving you any kind of financial advice. That's not what we're here for, nor <laughs> right. are we good at it. Let me tell you what but, stocks to invest in. Here they are. Yeah, exa- exa- <laughs> no, not really. Go, go find someone other than us to recommend stocks to you. Uh, yeah, run away screaming. But um, the thing that... <laughs> The thing about Tesla that keeps coming up is this perception versus reality. And you can go – you don't have to go far. You can go to Forbes and you can find one article that says, here's why Tesla's awesome and worth every dollar, next to an article that says, here's why this is smoke and mirrors, folks. Get your money out. So you can find both. The reason for the escalation over Ford versus and GM is Ford and GM have been around so long, you don't have – there's no speculation. They're trackable. This sure. is what they do. Sure. This is how they operate. This is what their profit will be. Tesla's the Wild West. And people, because they are not only pushing the cutting edge of electric uh, vehicles, but they're in autonomy. They're into batteries. They're into space. All of these things they, they feel like oh, they're yes. connected space. to. Right. We're sending rockets into space and reusing them successfully. And we're, and we're doing, and we're doing <sighs> solar. I mean, all of these things that get them out of the car world and make various different people of the market excited. They don't even care about cars. Whereas GM and Ford are heading along here, doing what they've always done, doing it well, doing it at a, okay, we can speculate that between this quarter and this quarter, this is going to happen. We don't know. We know Tesla's burning through cash right. to one day hopefully no longer burn through cash. <laughs> In an effort that's, to no longer burn through cash. That's a stock huh? free-for-all. That's a stock <laughs> free-for-all. If, if GM and Ford had one quarter that looked like the cash burn of Tesla, what would happen to their stock? Oh yeah! Oh my gosh! <laughs> but and you know, on this on this category, I also find it fascinating that Tesla is announcing, "Hey, we're about to do electric semis." Right. I yeah. read a figure today. They want to make three hundred thousand electric semis. You you don't know how you're going to make four hundred thousand Tesla Model Threes. Where's the three hundred thousand semis coming from? And I also read today they're having to recall sixty three thousand cars. To put that in perspective, that is nearly a calendar year of their production to date. They yeah. run about 70,000 cars a year. Gosh. If they recall 70,000 cars, imagine a GM or a Ford recalling a calendar year's worth of automobiles. So Yikes. they are the great exception right now because they appear so forward-looking and there isn't 100 years' worth of trackable back data to go, this is what the stock should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've uh, also mentioned another electric semi-truck manufacturer on the podcast before, but check out Nikola Motor. So Tesla took the inventor's <laughs> yeah. not, last not name. Not Tesla, but Nikola. Oh, These guys God. took yeah. his first name, and I cannot yep. wait to see yep. Nikola Class 8 semi-trucks pulling a load of Teslas so you can see Nikola there Tesla drive by. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh-huh. All right. I saw Nikola Tesla. This is stop. Stop. Yeah. They're stop. cool, though. Yeah. They're actually based, they uh, They're headquartered in Salt Lake City, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. And a mm-hmm. uh, pretty awesome story around these guys. So if you're interested in the electric semi Class 8, they're they're pretty sweet. So NikolaMotor.com. Anyway, uh, one last one for you, I think, uh, before we wrap up. Anything stick out? Uh, no, I mean that's I've pretty much covered the ones that uh, the ones that struck me. So uh, I think I mean there's lots of others, but as far as the ones I thought we could actually cover this evening, I think we have. I will mention to all of you listening, if you haven't rated the podcast, we would greatly appreciate it. Your ratings and reviews are what keep us in the top ten. We're thrilled to be in the top ten. And what's crazy is our like 
two episodes every week hang out as the top 10 episodes in Automotive 2. So thank you. That's entirely due to you guys. We are growing. We appreciate it. We hope you'll keep listening and sharing with friends. Uh, we apply that to Velocity as well. And, of course, Paul will say it, so I will steal it from him. Guess what? We have Blu-rays. We have Blu-rays of all of our (laughs) films. You can also find them on Vimeo. That's uh, Icon about the BMWs, 50 Years of 9-11, about the Porsche 911, plus Mid-Inches of Mountains and The Pilgrimage Trip. The movie exists, and the trip is coming again for 2017. So as we said at the top of the podcast, we have nothing going on. (laughs) Ooh, I liked Dan Corwin's question here. When are you guys coming out with your Get Your Daily Triple t-shirts? I think it's got to be something like wake up, brush your teeth, take a shower, have a cup of coffee, get your daily triple kind of (laughs) t-shirts. This is my morning. Welcome to Tuesday. Here's my to-do list. Yep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No, so including in that is uh, is more cool clothing that's also on the list. Don't forget that. That's uh, that's something else. Uh, In the midst of everything else we're not doing, we'll do that. (laughs) Yeah, I I like it. Yeah, good. In the category of nothing else going on, we'll leave you until next time, everyone. Cheers.